Okay, if you have your Bibles, we're in Acts chapter 6. Please uh, grab the Bibles in the chair back before you. There are two words for leadership in Scripture. Acts chapter 6 is on page 594. One of those words is shepherd. We learned about the word shepherd last week. To be a shepherd means to care, to give your life for the sheep, to serve them. The other word is servant. It's diakonos. It, it means somebody who waits on tables. It literally means to run through the dust. And we're going to think together about deacons today as Harlan reads for us from Acts chapter 6. So today we are reading from Acts chapter 6, 1 through 7. This is the word of God. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is the word of God. Let's pray together. Father, would you take this time now in the next 25 minutes and would you use your word to change our hearts, we pray. Lord, there are distractions and we pray, O Holy Spirit, that you will eliminate those so that we can focus and we can experience the true renewal and be gripped by the grace of the gospel. So Lord, would you help us to do that, we pray, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Kathy was your average um, homemaker living a normal middle-class life when her son was killed in an accident. And her husband began to pull away from her emotionally and began to drink in order to deal with the tragic death of his son. They became emotionally distant and eventually he sued for divorce. Kathy was left jobless with no job skills and no alimony. She lived in a state where there were no-fault divorces. And at 43 years old, she took a job as a waitress. Her husband later got over his alcohol addiction, got remarried, and was making $65,000 a year. Meanwhile, Kathy is making $900 a month as a waitress. She began to drink. She went to go see a psychiatrist, and he did little else but just subscribe to her tranquilizers in order to help numb her pain. George is a 28-year-old. He was a basketball star in high school, but he lost his job. And when he lost his job, his wife eventually divorced him. And George took to living at buddies' couches, and when those relationships wore thin, he went to the next house and to the next until eventually he had nowhere else to go. 
So he slept under tenements and he slept in parks and he held down a job at a local pizza joint for six months until he overslept several days and his boss said, George, we can't have you working here if you can't get to work on time. He didn't have the guts to tell his boss, sir, I have no home, much less an alarm clock. And I read this week about George's life and he said, you cannot get a job without a home. But you know what? Can't get a home without a job. Roger loved the prospect of a young church plant. It was exciting to him. He was on the setup team every week setting up for church. He started leading a community group. He was all in. And then there were some new projects at work that his company took on, and his bosses got nervous. And so he knew that it was going to be a long season for him at the firm. And surely his 40-hour lovely work week soon became 50, 60, 70 hours. If he was lucky, he would make it home at night to tuck his kids in bed. And then, because he was so exhausted, he stopped talking with his wife, and they just began to take a glass of wine and sit in front of the TV and catch their favorite episode. He began to get bitter about the church because he was serving so much that he would come on Sunday morning and be expected to do all of the. Don't you know how much pressure I'm under at work? And slowly that bitterness began to eat away at his marriage too. Burnout. Burnout is being physically or emotionally exhausted by life circumstances. Amen? Anybody here burnt out? Anybody here worn thin by life circumstances? Yes, thank you, JJ. See that hand. Yes. Listen, almost every one of us, thank you, almost every one of us raised that hand. We're going to become a Baptist church here before the end of the day. This is awesome. How can you avoid burnout? Or how can you at least learn to deflect it? That's the question we're going to ask and answer today. And it's the question that's posed for us in Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6 in Scripture gives us some principles and it gives us some priorities for how we are to live as God's new Israel, God's countercultural community for the common good in our city, as a church extending his kingdom. And it all happens right here in these seven verses of Acts chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, lower your eyes and look at the text with me. First, the principles. What's going on here? How did burnout happen? For the church in Acts. You remember in chapters 2 through chapters 4, the gospel is taking Jerusalem by storm. It's growing. People are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And stuff is happening. It's exciting. It's a young church plant. Man, it's moving and it's wonderful to see happen. And people shared their possessions. They shared their possessions not because they believed that the end of the world was coming or that property was no longer necessary. No, no. And it wasn't because this is some early form of of communism. That's also not why they shared their possessions. They shared their possessions because they knew that the church was God's new community for the world. And therefore, they considered everything in common because they loved each other that much. They wanted to be the church in a powerful and unique way. It was just the expression of love. You share your stuff, your family Share stuff. Your wife doesn't have to ask your permission to go into your she just, You share your stuff as a family. And the early church got that. And they applied that even to their community. 
But like any organization, as it begins to grow, organizations stop growing oftentimes. Churches stop growing oftentimes not because the gospel is not being preached or proclaimed, but they stop growing because there's not systems in place to care for that growth. And that was certainly the case here. You had Hellenistic and Hebrew widows. Hellenistic is just a big fancy word for Greek-speaking people. It's an adjective describing those who speak Greek. So you have Greek-speaking widows, and you have Hebrew-speaking widows in the same congregation or in the same church within the city. You remember that in the Old Testament, when Assyria took Israel into captivity, the ten tribes of Israel, all the tribes of Israel except for Judah and Benjamin, right, were taken captive into Assyria, and they dispersed among the nations. And now 700 years later, there's still this angst and this yearning in the Jewish people to go back to Jerusalem, back to their homeland. And so people from far and wide, Thyatira and Crete and Greece, they all began to come back to Jerusalem because that's where their homeland was, even after a dozen generations after they had been taken into captivity. And so in Jerusalem in the first century, you have this incredible global community and so in the church it wouldn't surprise you to have people there that speak different languages and so what happened was they would have a daily distribution for care for the widows and the greek-speaking widows the hellenistic widows began to be overlooked and this became a problem And the principle here that emerges from this text, from the very first verse in Acts chapter 6, is this. As the church grows, as an organization matures, do you know what happens? Burnout is natural. Burnout is natural. It happened right here. The disciples were increasing in number. A complaint by the Hellenists arose. Listen. It shouldn't surprise you that people are burnt out. It is natural. It is part and parcel of the fall of mankind to be exhausted emotionally and physically. You have both demographic spectrums. You have, the, if you will, the little old ladies, the widows, and you have the young men, the apostles. The full board of the demographics of Jerusalem are worn out. It's not just that the... Uh, Hellenistic women, the widows were tired because they were being overlooked. Listen, the apostles were getting burned out because they were taking on more and more responsibility to care for this flock in ways that they did not have the capital to do. So the first principle when you think about how do you avoid burnout is you have to recognize, friends, that burnout is natural. It wasn't intended, but it is a result of the fall. And it should be a great encouragement to you and to me because the 12 apostles who had a pretty darn good teacher, don't you think? The second person of the Holy Trinity, Jesus Christ, taught them day in and day out for three years. If they can get worn out, don't you think we should give ourselves permission to say, I'm worn out too? We know about being worn out. Just look at Owasso. People in Owasso go to church to kind of placate their burnout. And they walk out feeling guilty about their sin. And they just are encouraged to have more willpower. 
and it's just not getting the job done. It's one of the reasons why 5% of all middle-aged women are consistently on a prescribed sleeping pill. Did you know that? Sleeping pills are to be given for like a month. 5% of women are on it indefinitely. 3.1% of all middle-aged men are taking sleeping pills every day. Some of you are. Because they're exhausted. Michael Phelps, after he won eight gold medals in 2008, do you know what he did when he got home? What he didn't do was swim for two years because he was burnt out. Any of you burnt out? I mean, we set up for our church every week. It takes a lot of work. The, the worship team sets up their instruments every week. It takes a lot of work. Things don't always go as planned. Listen, burnout is natural. But if you're going to heal from burnout, and we have people in this congregation, we have four youth ministers, former youth ministers in our congregation from other churches that are at Trinity because they're healing, because they are worn out from the church. Guys who just came to Trinity, just like some of you today, and said, I want to find a home where I can just heal and hear the gospel preached. Not be driven by willpower, but hear the good news that Jesus Christ has come to me and has healed me by what he has done for me, not by what I need to do to get God to like me. First principle is, if you're going to heal from burnout, you have to understand that burnout is natural. Second, to avoid burnout, you must delegate. That's what the text says. I'm just trying to stick with the text. They delegated. They summoned the full number of apostles, verse Two and said it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables here's the problem if you're going to begin to delegate you have to know what your responsibility is in order to know what you can delegate most of us are worn out because we do not really understand what our calling is we are trying to do so many things we feel guilty for delegating it's not because delegation is bad it's because we don't know what our call is these disciples recognized what their call was, and their call was twofold. It lays out for us what the role of an elder is in a church. Their call, look at it, it's in verse 4. Their call is to the ministry of the word and to prayer. That is, for the teaching of the Bible, the preaching of the gospel, the administration of the sacraments, and for church discipline. That was their role as shepherds. But they call out, they elect, they tap people to help with the physical needs of the church they delegate that out to what becomes the deacons later developed in scripture many of us know that um, we're on the very end our edges are frayed and we need to delegate stuff but a lot of us just don't know what our real call is in order to delegate we don't really know that and do you know how you know what your real responsibilities are in life you spend inordinate amounts of time in prayer you you ask god lord make my call right now clear how do i serve my wife the best right now in my life circumstance how am i to manage and juggle all that's happening at work what am i to do for trinity if i'm to serve her in any way what do i do 
you have to be able to not just jump in whenever we pass a sign-up sheet through the aisles. You have to be able to say, Lord, I want, to he- I want you to help me understand what I need to do. And you do that through prayer. You also do that through your community. You can Very few things happen except death alone. You're not born alone. You didn't get to where you are alone. Nothing in life happens alone that's any good. You have to do it in community where people know you, who can help say, Charlie, this is where I think the Lord is calling you. Or, Shanda, this is what I think the Lord wants to do in your life. You have to be in community so people know you, love you, encourage you. I would not be a pastor if somebody hadn't told me, like, I think you need to consider praying about being in ministry. I thought they were nuts. Do you take time to rest? Jesus gives us the principle of the Sabbath in Scripture, not because he wants Sundays to be boring, but because he wants one day in seven to be restful. He wants the world to look at his church and say, what is wrong with those people? They take Sundays off, and yet they're more productive than anybody else in the world. What is wrong with them? What is a What's about them? Why are they so impactful in civil society? Well, the answer is, is because we're resting. We are not people who just go, 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 go to placate our life with busyness. You have to find time to rest. I would argue that if we took Sabbath, if we practiced the Sabbath that God gives us, a lot of our problems, I think, actually would um, solve them. I actually think that if America caught up on their sleep, it would do amazing work on our economy people would work better be more effective at work they wouldn't be sleeping at noon do you really rest and i'll just i don't just mean take naps but do you take time in the busyness every week to find a time to really rest because if you know what you should hand off to other people you can't know that unless you have a very clear sense of where the lord has called you to be now and he does that through his word and in community as they affirm your gifts for the good of our city and for the good of our community at Trinity. Even Jesus, by the way, delegated his healing ministry to 12 people. There's only one responsibility Jesus had that he could not delegate. You know what that is? To live a sinless life that you could not live and die a death you should have died. It's the only thing he couldn't delegate, and he lived it perfectly. God, not my will be done, but yours be done. And he was faithful to the task that he was given. Listen, I I want Trinity to be done with excellence. I want this church to be a place where people feel like it's different, it's unique. We sing different songs that have good theology. We hear the gospel preached in a way that's unique. It's not about guilt. It's about the grace of the gospel. But I cannot do it on our own. I can do it on my own. And so it's important for us as a church to know how do we delegate that authority And we're at a church, at a point in our church's life, where we are at the very end of our church planting life. We're fixed to become a real church, if you will. And over the next several weeks, we're going to show you how that's delegated. Next week, I'm going to tell you who the candidates are to be nominated for the role of elder and deacon in our church. And then you're going to vote to nominate them to become an elder or a deacon. And then on the 29th of September is the deadline for when you can say, okay, I'd like to nominate these people to be an elder or a deacon at Trinity. 
And then we'll have several weeks to consider and pray and think about it together. And then on October the 13th, at 9.15 a.m. before the service, we're going to have a congregational meeting to elect our officers and call our pastor. And then once we have called the men who are going to lead our church, right now some of you are thinking, well, don't you have elders now? Don't you have a preacher now? Yes, we do. We're called a mission status church. We borrow our elders from other PCA churches, Presbyterian, conservative Presbyterian churches in the PCA throughout Tulsa. We borrow their leadership to help govern Trinity. But we're fixing to have our own men from within our congregation elected to serve her, to lead her. And then on October the 27th, at 5 p.m., we're going to have a huge party to celebrate God's faithfulness to our life over the last two years plus in our church plant. It's going to be awesome. And I hope that all of you will mark your calendar to be there on October the 27th. But it's time for us to delegate that responsibility to other men. So we're going to call deacons and we're going to call elders to lead us. And in order to call deacons and to call elders, you have to know the right kind of people to delegate it to. It says in verse 3 that they were men of good repute. They were full of wisdom and of the Spirit. This harkens back to Numbers 27 when Moses was trying to find who was going to lead Israel after his death. And he picked a young man named Joshua. And it said that he called Joshua and he laid his hands on him. And he prayed for him and he anointed him. And Joshua rose up and he led Israel. We're going to lay our hands on our elders and our deacons and we're going to ordain them into gospel ministry. But to know the right people to call, you have to know the characteristics of those people. And I would encourage every one of us this week to go to 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1 and read through the qualities for an elder and for a deacon. What are those chapters and verses? 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus 1. It's where in Scripture you find the qualities, the characteristics, the attributes of an elder and of a deacon. Pray that the Lord would show you who those men in our congregation are. The only difference in the qualities between an elder and a deacon are that an elder also has the additional responsibility to be able to teach. Otherwise, they're exactly the same. Are you praying for your elders and your deacons right now? Please, as a family, in your own times before meals or your own devotions, pray for the men who are going to lead our church. Because we want to be a church who doesn't experience burnout because we're laying the biblical structures in place to help us as a community avoid it. If we are to be a church that avoids burnout, you have to be able to understand burnout is natural. You have to be able to delegate certain things to people. You have to delegate to the right people. That's the third principle. Find the right person to delegate it to. And why do you do this? Because you have a bigger picture of the work of Christ in our community than just the transformation of our heart, although that is crucial that you understand that the gospel of grace that you heard about on this video and you heard spoken by Bethany, the gospel of grace is that God does for you what you cannot do for yourself. He does not demand willpower. He does not demand moral excellence. Moral excellence is a fruit of the gospel. It is not the cause of the gospel. Are you with me? 
You will be a better person when you recognize all that Jesus has done for you and you recognize that you're a sinner, desperate for mercy and grace. And when you realize that Jesus lived the life for you that you could not live, perfect before the Holy Father, and he died for you a death that you should have died, that you and I deserve to die, then you begin to realize that you are both more sinful than you could ever imagine. And at the same time, more loved and accepted and adored by your Savior than you could ever dream. That's the gospel. Holding these two tensions together, that yes, the world is more broken and you are more sinful. And you see it in your family this week. You see it at work. But also that you are more loved and adored by your Savior than you could ever dream. And the way that you show that for a watching world is through mercy ministry. That's what Acts 6 is about. When Jesus came in his ministry, he did word ministry and deed ministry together. They were never separated. Ever notice how sometimes Jesus heals somebody and then preaches the gospel? Or sometimes he preaches the gospel first and then heals them? Why? Because word and deed go together. The only way that Owasso will see Trinity is not because of a billboard or a website or a flag that's waving in the wind off of 169. The only way that God sees the church is by the love that they have for their community. The love of believers is the advertising campaign of the new Israel. And the way that you manifest that love is through deeds of mercy and ministry. It's all throughout Scripture. In James chapter 2, faith without works, is dead. In Acts chapter 4, they had everything in common. They gave up of their possessions to do deeds of ministry together. In Isaiah chapter 1, a life poured out in ministry is the inevitable outcome of pure faith. Or in Matthew 25, the parable of the sheep and the goats, the point of the parable is that God will judge God will judge whether you are a Christian or not. Are you ready? By your deeds of mercy. Yes, of course, he knows who are his. He knows that you believe in the gospel. But the gospel changes your whole outlook toward the poor, your whole outlook toward the needy. We are not, hear me very carefully, we are not saved by mercy ministry or social justice. But that is the inevitable result of being saved. To make sense of this, you have to understand what happened in the fall. When, when Adam sinned in the fall, we fell in four ways. You remember the story of Adam taking the fruit and falling, right? We fell, we fell spiritually. We were alienated from God. We were cut out from him. We cut away from him. We were scared when God came near. Genesis 3.8. There was psychological alienation. Adam and Eve experienced shame and guilt for the first time in their nakedness. They just weren't spiritually alienated. They were, psycholo they were psychologically alienated. There was shame. But not only that, there was social alienation. Before sin, Adam and Eve were naked and they were unashamed. But after the fall, they hid from each other. They were socially scarred. Do you ever think about the fact that 
the fall affects relationships, it doesn't just affect the fact that you make bad decisions. It affects your relationships. The fall is so much more devastating than most people recognize. It affects you spiritually. It affects you psychologically. It affected you socially. You see the social implications all the time. People are always blaming each other for the problem. You got the liberals on the left who are just blaming all the problems of the world on injustice and class strife. And then you have the conservatives on the right who are always saying, well, it's because of family breakdown and selfishness. In a sense, yes, both are right. Because the social implications of the fall of mankind are so devastating to us. Do you get that? And lastly, we have physical alienation. Man is at odds with the planet. Through painful toil, we will eat of the ground. There's physical and mental breakdown because of the fall of mankind. The fall was devastating to us. And if we are going to be a community that avoids burnout... We have to learn as a community what it means to rest in the gospel. Which becomes for us in a while so all that much more important. We have to meet the felt needs, the human physical needs that even spiritually undeserving people can recognize. Even non-Christians recognize their felt needs. We have to be a church that is active about mercy ministry. We have to meet felt human needs through deeds and words in the power and love of the kingdom. This is so important for us as a young church plant because Owasso is growing like crazy. The population of our city is outgrowing the resources that are available to it. Do you know it? Just go visit the Owasso Community Resource Center. They are swamped. Go visit the Pregnancy Resource Center. They are having more and more young women come to them who are pregnant. The resources are not there for people in our city as we continue to grow. That is only going to get worse. Some of you have gifts in that area that you need to help us learn to creatively employ, to help us as a church set up structures so we can better care for our needy and our poor in our area, for those who are on the fringes of society. Divorce recovery, oh my gosh. You could, you could have a divorce recovery class every night of the week at Trinity. Not just within our congregation, but within the congregations around the city where people desperately need to hear and heal in light of the gospel. Our population is getting older in our city. You know, it wasn't long ago that the Baptist Village was the only game in town for a community living um, uh, community. And now there's a number of elderly living communities including one that's going up right now just across the street from St. John's. Our population's getting older, and with the older population comes more and more needs. Families are breaking up. There's more and more single-parent families in Owasso. You have an increasing prison population. People who get out of prison come into town like Owasso. They have to find a safe place. It's very hard to find a safe place to meet if you've been um, in prison, especially if you're on the sex offender list, it's almost impossible to find a safe place to live that is distant enough from children and from school. It's almost impo- Just imagine trying to find a place to live in Owasso if you have that on your record. Like, I know we tend to look down our nose at people who are sex offenders, but what about those who have been healed of it, who made a mistake and they have been broken and they've been healed? Where do they live? Very hard for them to find good, safe housing in this city. The immigration population, this has always been an issue since the founding of our country. It's only going to increase. 
and the Native American population continues to need care. Tribes have tons of money, yet the population grows and the needs have become overwhelming for them. Do you know what the result, the result of applying the gospel in a community that becomes a mercy-driven community? The result is that religious people understand the gospel for the first time. Religious people begin to get the gospel. Look at verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many number of the priests became obedient to the faith. Isn't that interesting? That Dr. Luke would include that. There were probably 1,200 priests, Levites in Jerusalem. They were Jews. They weren't Christians. But they were the most moral, upstanding citizens that Jerusalem had to offer. And they got that they could not earn God's favor by their moral one-upmanship. But they rested in the finished work of Jesus Christ for them. And as a result, the gospel took off. Revival continued and the religious establishment began to get the gospel. Listen, in Owasso, we're full of churches. I was driving down, you know, just this weekend with a friend, realizing there are so many churches in our city. Do you know what? There are so many people who grew up in the religious establishment of our city who would have never heard that they are saved because of what Christ does for them. Not what they need to do in order to get God to like them. Jesus Christ is at the right hand of the Father interceding for you right now. And he loves you more than you could ever hope or dream. If Jesus loves you more than you could ever hope or dream, there is no more love to be earned by God, by your good favor, as if you could earn his favor by your good works. Your works are filthy rags. Luther said we have to repent not just of our bad deeds, but also of our good ones, because the fall was that devastating. And the way that you demonstrate the beauty of the kingdom that has come in Jesus Christ is you give yourself for the poor and for the marginalized. And we're going to do that in a couple of weeks by electing our deacons. We're going to set aside men in our church who are committed to care for the stewardship of our church financially, for the mercy needs within our church and outside of our church and our facilities so that the elders that are called can shepherd the flock, can be committed to prayer, intercessory prayer, and the teaching of the word. Many years ago, B.B. Warfield wrote a sermon on Philippians chapter 2, and he called it Imitation of the Incarnation. And he said, listen to this, Dear Christians, some of you might pray night and day to be the branches of the true vine. You pray to be made all over in the image of Christ. If so, you must be like him in your giving. For he was rich, but he became poor for our sake so that we might become rich. Well, objection. My money is my own. Answer, Warfield says. Christ might have said, well, my blood is my own. My life is my own. Then where should we have been? Objection two. Well, the poor are undeserving. Answer. Christ might have said, well, the wicked are rebels. Shall I lay my life down for these? I will give to the good angels. But no, he left the 99 and he came after the lost. He gave his blood for the undeserving. Well, objection number three. The poor may abuse it. 
Well, Christ might have said the same thing, even with greater truth. By the way, you know there's a story about C.S. Lewis. I have to tell C.S. Lewis was walking with J.R.R. Tolkien across Oxford campus many years ago. And C.S. Lewis saw a poor man sitting on the street. And Lewis, you know, Lewis was a very friendly guy. Tolkien was kind of a curmudgeon. And Lewis pulled out his wallet and he gave him, you know, several pounds. And Tolkien goes, what are you doing? You know that guy's just going to go take it and spin it on beer. And Lewis looked over at his friend Tolkien and he said, well, what do you think I was going to do with it? <laughs> Jesus could have said the same thing. Don't give to the poor. They're undeserving. Oh, dear Christian, if you would be like Christ, give much, give often, give freely to the vile, to the poor, to the thankless, and the undeserving. Christ is glorious and happy, and so will you be. It is not your money that I want, Jesus says. I want your happiness. Remember his own words. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Here's the point. We're on the very forefront in our history as a young church of calling men to be the hands and feet of love for our community, but they cannot do it alone. We need to develop helpful, strategic mercy teams to support them in their work. And he's calling some of you men and women to be on that team. Would you pray that that's the case? Would you pray and ask the Lord, Are you calling me to help serve in this way? Is that my calling? To serve Trinity by being the extension of the kingdom of love in our community. You're not saved by moral effort or moral exertion. That will only make you burn out. People come to church and they walk out trying to heal their burnout just with more to do heaped upon their shoulders. The gospel is not more to do. The gospel is repentance and joy because Jesus Christ did for you all that you needed to do. Amen?